Today, I want to just jump right into the Word of God with you. I'm so excited to have this opportunity to bring the Word each week to you. And if you're here today as a guest, I want to echo what Val just said. Thank you for being here. You showed up for week two of a series we're calling Saints. And I just want to tell you, my, my kind of heartbeat behind this whole series is the thought that the idea of Christianity in America has in some ways lost its luster. It just doesn't quite gleam the way it used to. It doesn't roll off the, same, the tongue with the same resonance that, that it used to have. And I mean, you know, you could say Christian and you could, you could mean a thousand different things. And uh, though most all of us that love Jesus, we would profess to be Christians, there's another word that I think we ought to lean into with our heart, and that is this word, saints. What's amazing to me, and this is just a, a, an, a reflection of how culture influences our vocabulary so much, there are three places in the New Testament where the Bible refers to the church as Christians. But there are over 60 places in the New Testament that the Bible talks about the church as saints. So how many of you think it might be good that we reclaim some of that language? We are the saints of the Most High God. And the reason I want you to grab that language is because I don't know how you feel, but me personally, and we talked about this last week, I, I feel like when I say, how many of you would call yourself a saint? Not a whole lot of hands are shooting up. Not in this church. I know this church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not in the 10 o'clock service. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the first service, all the, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. All the hands went up earlier. <laughs> but we, we kind of back away from that, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm a saint. Well, I want to tell you, you are a saint if you're a child of God. So last week, we kicked off this series with the understanding of what the Word of God says. If you're a saint, if you're saved, you're a saint. That's what the word says in Romans chapter 1 verse 7 and in five other places as the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament wrote to Christians in real churches in real locations. He called them the saints of God. Look at this verse Romans 1 7 says to all who are in Rome. This is Paul writing beloved of God called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that phrase, called to be saints. It's almost like a, a subtle pastoral reminder. Like, you are saints, but you're called to act like it. Like, like saint up, okay? Like, just, like, and that's the other thought we drilled into last week, that, that not only if you're saved are you a saint, but if you're saved and you're a saint, you're sanctified. I know that's a good Bible word we don't probably use very often, but sanctified just means set apart. It means that God has a specific purpose and assignment and plan for your life that he knew before one day was lived, before one breath was breathed, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. You're set apart for that plan. The good news is you don't have to die to be a saint. We're not called saints after we die. After we die, the Bible calls us saints because we live in Christ. And I want to tell somebody today, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's not to pray for Christians after you die. His plan is that you would make disciples while you live. That's the plan of God for the church. We are the saints of the most high God. In other words, God saves us for service. Like it's not just a spiritual get out of jail free card. Like God, God doesn't just redeem your life so that you can lay your you know, head on the pillow at night with a little less anxiety. When he saves you, 
He has a plan for service. And our role as kingdom citizens in the earth is to reflect his heavenly kingdom in the earthly realm. That's our responsibility. I said last week in one of the services that too often we, we make the words conversion and salvation synonymous. The word conversion speaks of the moment you give your life to Christ, but salvation does not just speak of the moment you give your life to Christ. When you're converted in that moment, rest assured, you are saved. You are saved, but salvation and sanctification are the continuing work of God in your life for the rest of your life. In other words, you get saved the moment you give your life to Jesus, but then you spend the rest of your life doing what the Apostle Paul said, working out your salvation. Anybody besides me still working it out? <laughs> like, just, just working it out. I'm there, but I'm not there. I'm working it out. That's what God's doing in the lives of the redeemed. You don't have to earn a halo or wings. He calls you his saints. And, and, and I sense the Spirit of God wanting to call us up in the midst of a culture that lo has lost the meaning of a whole lot of words, but especially this one, Christianity. God doesn't call us to be identified by a box that we check on a census. It's not about your background or your upbringing or denominations or affiliations. It's, it's about who God says you are. You're saved. You're sanctified. You are the saints of the Most High God. And one of the greatest privileges that we have as the saints of God is prayer. So today I want to kind of shift in this direction because one of our greatest privileges is prayer. And, and if we're going to talk about the privileges of prayer, I've got to start with the absolute greatest truth about the saints when it comes to the issue of prayer in the Word of God. If you're a note taker, this is number one. Write this down. Jesus prays. For his saints. Now I know down here we get it backwards. We ask saints to pray for us. But know what the Bible says. Jesus prays for his saints. Romans chapter 8 verse 27. Paul said this. Now he who searches the heart. Knows what the mind of the spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints. According to the will of God. That's what Jesus is doing. He's interceding for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, right now, Jesus is praying for you. This is not a, a look back at history. This is not Paul writing about, you know, Jesus in the garden in John 17 saying, Lord, and I pray for all those who will come. This is not something Jesus did at a one-time one moment in history. He says he's right now praying for you. In fact, a little farther in the same chapter, he goes on in verse 34 and says, Who then is the one that condemns you? You're going to like this answer. No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, that's the gospel, is right now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you. Interceding just means to, to pray on somebody else's behalf. The, the writer of Hebrews said it like this. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save those completely who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If, if you're wondering this morning, what's, what's, what's Jesus up to today? He always lives to intercede for them. For who? For the saints. 
He sits at the right hand of God today. Not only is he able to save completely, he wants to. And he always lives to intercede for God's good will to be done in your life. Here's the second thing you need to know about the saints when it comes to prayer. The saints' prayers shape the earth. The prayers of the saints shape the earth. I want to show you this in Matthew chapter 21. This is Jesus speaking. And he says in Matthew 21, Verse 21, Jesus replied, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, by the way, what was done to the fig tree is Jesus went to get some figs off of it and it didn't produce any figs and he was frustrated and he cursed it and said, die. And then the next morning they got up and they saw the fig tree and it was dead. And they were shocked. I don't know why they were shocked. I mean, they've seen Jesus like open blinded eyes. They've seen him cause the lame to walk. But for some reason, the fig tree dying at his command stumped them. I, like, like that. Now that's amazing. You know, I don't know. We all have off days, right? Like, I, but the, he, 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 he one-ups the miracle. And he says, not only will you see that happen, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. And it'll be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is Jesus' invitation to a mountain-moving kind of faith. Jesus is telling the saints, you can, you can pray and you can say to the mountain, whatever the obstacle is that's in front of your life, whatever the immovable issue is, whether it's physical or, or relational or emotional or, or spiritual, you can speak to that mountain and it'll be removed. What Jesus is saying is that prayer can shape the landscape of your life. I, I could spend the rest of my time testifying to you today about all of the different things that I've prayed and asked God to do. And now on the backside of the answer, I can look back and say, God, move these circumstances for my good. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't prayed that. I wouldn't experience this if God hadn't been faithful there. How many of you have testimonies like that where you can look back and go, wow, you, maybe you didn't see it in the moment. Maybe you didn't catch the transaction. But with hindsight, you recognize, had it not been for God's willingness to hear and answer my feeble prayer, this is not my reality. For some of you, that reality is that you're breathing today. Wouldn't be here, but for the grace of God. Maybe it wasn't even your prayer. Maybe it was a praying mama or a praying grandmama that God heard on your behalf. And you'd have to say, you know what? If it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? He invites us to change the landscape of our life. The prayer of the saints, it shapes the earth. And, and there's two things you need to know about this mountain-moving faith if you're going to pray this kind of prayer. Number one is this. Faith comes from looking at God, not the mountain. The faith that is required, this is key, the faith that is required to have mountain-moving experiences with God is that you look at God, not the mountain. Because when God sees what you see today, I can promise you, He's not wringing His hands with anxiety. He's, he's, God doesn't see the obstacle, He sees the opportunity. Just like He did when the disciples saw the man who was born blind, and they said, why is this guy blind from birth? I mean, did he sin or did his parents sin? 
Jesus said, neither. This happened so that I could be glorified. In other words, God doesn't see the obstacle. He sees the opportunity. God's going God's to do something for his glory in the situation. So we have to focus on the mountain mover and not on the mountain. I, I want you to go with me in the Old Testament to a story in Joshua chapter 3. This is an awesome snapshot of exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I'll set the story up as you find it. Joshua 3, the nation of Israel has followed Moses' leadership through the wilderness for some 40 years. They're headed to the promised land. They're taking the long route, and they haven't got there yet, and then Moses, he, he dies on the job. He's gone, and now Joshua's the leader, and there's one obstacle that stands between the people of Israel and the promised land. There's one thing that keeps them from entering into what God said they would have. It's the Jordan River. And there on the banks of the Jordan River, God gives some instructions. Look at it with me in Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. It says, after three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Get this picture in your mind. The ark of the covenant was the, the visible manifestation of God's presence among the Israelites. God said, my presence will be there. That, it was essentially a box. I don't know if you ever saw Indiana Jones, but the Ark of the Covenant has got a lid on it. You know, it's that box, same box. It's there, and they're carrying the box. They've got poles through the rings, and they're, it's on their shoulder, and they're, they're taking it through the, the wilderness. And God says, here's what's going to happen. The priests are going to carry the box into the Jordan River, and you're going to Follow it. Now, the key is those words right at the end of verse 3. Follow it. Follow it. Follow what? Follow the presence of God. Follow, follow me. Don't follow the, the, don't follow the priest. Don't follow Joshua. Don't get your eyes on the water that's raging at flood stage. Just follow it. And he tells them to keep their eyes on it. I want to say to you, if you're going to have mountain-moving prayer in your life, you're going to have to focus on the one who moves the mountains. You know, a lot of us, especially in, in the Pentecostal church, we, we love the, this verse that Jesus said, you can say to the mountain, be moved and it'll be cast into the sea. And man, we like to get out there and we just like to name it and claim it and say it and grab it and have it and spray it. And man, we just, we, everything is mine. Yo, God said it's mine. I can have this. I can have that. And you know, we got to be careful to make sure that we're not so focused on what we want to say to the mountain that we're actually seeking the mountain. We can say it, but we got to seek the mountain mover. Lest we end up like Samson in Judges. The Bible says God had given Samson incredible strength to defeat the enemies. Many times he defeated the Philistines, and the secret to his strength was his long hair. He was in a covenant with God not to cut his hair, and he laid his head in the lap of compromise. Her name was Delilah. Some of you know her. He laid his head in her lap. And he gave up his convictions. He forfeited his blessing. 
He told her the secret of his strength. And the Bible says after he laid there and slept with his head in her lap and she shaved his head bald, the Philistines came in to attack. And the Bible says he jumped up and he ran out to face them as he did before. But he did not know that the presence of the Lord was not with him. That's one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible. And if we're not careful, we can get to that place where we're so focused on what we want to see God do over here and what I want to see God do over here, we can step out into the water thinking we're going to speak to a mountain instead of seeking the mountain mover and not even recognize the presence of God is gone. Woo, that is good. Somebody ought to give God praise. And so Joshua tells them, he says, follow it. Now the second key to Mountain moving faith is knowing this. God gives us faith as we walk in faith. You get it on the way. See, see a lot of people are holding back because they don't have it all together yet. You never will. You get mountain moving faith by walking in faith. So, so Joshua told the priest, he said, I want you to take the ark on your shoulders and I want you to I want you to carry it out into the water. Now, now they're probably excited about this because they were just boys when the previous generation crossed the Red Sea. And y'all remember that story, right? Moses takes them to the Red Sea, and, and the Bible says he holds out his staff, and the waters parted. And all the people crossed over on dry land. And they get to the other side and the the chariots of Egypt come after them. And God closes the water and drowns the Egyptian army. God delivers them. And now it's our turn. It's my time. God said he's going to part the waters of the Jordan River. And I can just imagine the priests. They've got the ark. They're like, this is going to be good. This is going to be awesome. They're ready. They're looking sharp. They get to the edge of the water. And the Bible says in Judges 3 or Joshua 3, the water's at flood stage. And they're watching this water, and they're going, Joshua, where's your stick, man? Do the thing. And Joshua's like, God didn't say anything about bringing a stick. He just said, y'all are supposed to walk out there, and we're going to follow it. And they're like, Joshua, I got my, my priest garments on here, man. Like, This is dry clean only. We're going to look a fool walking out and getting taken down. You know, what what happens when, does the ark float? I don't know. And and the Bible says God told them to just step out. And so they just stepped out. And you know what happened in that moment when they stepped out? They got wet. That's what happened. (laughs) That's what it says. They got wet. But what they didn't know is that 30 miles upstream in the town of Adam, God had already stopped the flow of the Jordan River. He had already held back the water. He was just waiting for the promise of the obedient steps of faith to meet them in their moment. And so he... They're just standing there, they're waiting, okay, just keep, keep going. And the Bible says, as they stepped out in faith, God began to let the waters recede past them. You know, it reminds me of the story in, in the New Testament when the disciples are in a boat, it's the middle of the night, and the storm's raging, and they think they're going to die. And then, to make matters worse, they see a ghost walking to them. At least that's what they thought it was. The Bible tells us it was actually Jesus walking on the water towards them. And they're, they're freaking out. And, and Peter then says something so bold and audacious. He says, 
If it's you, master, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter does the unthinkable. He, he gets up, he steps out of the boat, and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. He's walking towards Jesus. Now, some of you are so quiet because you're too scholarly. You've already moved ahead in the story. You're like, yeah, but he sank. <laughs> I, know, I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, but he took his eyes off Jesus. He failed. Can I just remind you, there were 11 other guys in the boat that never walked on water. Okay? Like, they never, they never took a step. And it's, obedience starts with a step. See, I don't think we get the story in Acts 5 of, of Peter saying to the paralytic who's been lying there at the gate called Beautiful, and he says to the man, silver and gold, have I none, but what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. I don't think that happens if Peter doesn't take a bath in the Sea of Galilee. Because he stepped out in faith, and we get mountain-moving faith by walking in faith. And so they stepped into the river. God parted the waters. How do, we, how do we get that kind of prayer life? Saints, we do it by focusing on God. We focus on the mountain mover, not the mountain. And, and we do it by, by taking the next step. You don't have to have all the steps. You just got to take the next step. And you got to follow and obey what he says. Ian Bounds said, God shapes the world by prayer. He shapes the world. He changes the landscape of your life in response to your faith. The third thing I want you to know today, finally, is, is this. The prayers of the saints, they not only shape the earth, they shake the earth. Now, and I just got to tell you, whether you enjoy this final point of the message or not, I'm, I'm having a ball up here. And I, I preached myself happy this week when I wrote this, so I just want to let you know this is powerful right here. Have you ever wondered what happens to the millions of prayers that have been prayed? I mean, think about it, the multiplied millions of millions of prayers that all the Christians for the last 2,000 years have prayed in Jesus' name. You ever wondered, like, what happened? I mean, sometimes I know how we feel. It feels like they didn't, they didn't get, they got caught in the filter, in the air, AC or something like that. They didn't get anywhere. Maybe they just bounced off the ceiling or something. Or maybe, maybe God, like, wasn't listening. Too many people prayed at the same time. Or maybe God, maybe God just forgets. Or maybe God doesn't see the value in the prayer. Maybe he just ignored some of those prayers. Well, in the book of Revelation, we get an incredibly Powerful picture of exactly what happens to our prayers. I want you to look at it with me. It's in Revelation chapter 8. And it says in verse 1, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now just keep that in mind. We're going to come back to this moment of silence, which is pretty much what the half hour felt like in the 830 service. I'm just kidding. Let me set this up. Maybe you haven't read Revelation lately. But in Revelation chapter 4, this is John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 
he's now an older man. He's been exiled to an island called Patmos. And he's there, and the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 that Jesus appears to him, and Jesus says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So what happens after that is he's going to get a picture of the things to come, future events. And then Revelation 5, John sees God on the throne, and in his right hand is a scroll. And the scroll is written on front and back, but it's rolled up and it's sealed with seven seals. Do you ever get like a card for Father's Day or Mother's Day from your kid and they way overdid the stickers to seal the envelope? Like seven seals on the envelope. So the scroll of what is to come cannot be unrolled. And John realizes in Revelation 5 that nobody can open the scroll. And Jesus said, I'm going to show you what's to come, but how can we open the scroll to know what's to come? And he begins to weep in that moment. And then one of the 24 elders that surround the throne of God says to John, he says, don't weep. Don't weep. The Lion of Judah is able to open the scroll and break the seals. And suddenly, in that moment, Revelation 5, John sees Jesus, and he appears as a lamb in the center of God's throne. And he's bloodied, and he looks sacrificed. And all of a sudden, a song breaks out in heaven. And and in Revelation 5, it records that all the people, all the elders, everyone in heaven began to sing, You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God every person from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And all the glory goes to Jesus because of his death on the cross for us. He's the one who's worthy to unroll the scroll and tell you your future. I can't tell you your future. You can't tell me your future. But Jesus is the only one that can break the seals and open the scroll. And so praise breaks out in heaven. Now now go back to chapter 8 with me. Because between chapter 5 and chapter 8, one by one, Jesus begins to break the seals. He opened, and we start to see a little bit more of the picture of things to come. And now we get to chapter 8, and six seals have been broken. There's, there's one seal that's still holding the scroll closed. And nobody knows what tomorrow holds except the one who holds the scroll. And so we get to chapter 8, and for the first time ever, for the only time, as far as we know, ever, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. A holy hush comes over heaven. Just. And all eyes turn to the throne. And and here's what it says. Verse 2, Revelation 8. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, so an eighth angel now, comes forward, having a golden censer, He came and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense that we should offer it with the prayer of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God. See, back in Revelation 5, John saw that there was a bowl on the altar, and in that bowl were all the prayers of all the saints. 
So if you ever wondered where your prayers were, here they are. Here they are. They're right here. They're before the throne of God. I love John Piper's commentary on this amazing thought that every prayer that's ever been prayed in Jesus' name by any Christian ever could be right here. He said, if mere humans can invent a microchip that holds millions of bytes of communication, it should not be difficult for us to imagine that God has no trouble at all devising a way to preserve on his altar every prayer that has ever been prayed in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you, no prayer you've ever prayed to God has been lost. They're all accounted for. It's not wasted. He has the prayers of all the saints. They're gathered on his altar. Now, it's about to get good. This is the part where I had to stand up in my office. And I sat back down. Verse 4. And the smoke from the incense on the altar with the prayer of all the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. This eighth angel, the one who has the censer, who's now stirred the, the prayers of the saints with the incense. It's now ascended before God. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. Wait a minute. What just happened to my prayer? Like, that's what I said when I read Like, what? What just happened to my prayer? So, so there's silence in all of heaven for the only time in all eternity, past, present, future. There's silence for 30 minutes. And there's this building aroma of the prayer of the saints that is ascending towards the nostrils of God. It's rising like incense to the very throne of God. And then the fire from the altar, the burning prayers of all the saints, is thrown to the earth and the silence is broken. There's noise. There's the clap of thunder. There's the flashing of lightning. All of the sudden, things begin to unfurl on the earth. And here's the point. Don't miss this. That all of the things that God wants to unfurl in the future is in response to the prayers of God's people. It's your prayers. It's my prayers. Our prayers set it in motion. Every prayer on that day that's prayed according to God's kingdom agenda, will fully and finally be answered. The prayers of the saints will shake the earth. They'll shake the earth. As the worship team comes back to the stage, I want to invite you to respond in a moment, to take your rightful place at the altar in the presence of God. Now, listen, I know that we're not physically in the presence of God. This church, this is just a, a shadow. We're a shadow people that we reflect a kingdom that's coming. And it's our, it's our job to, to live as ambassadors, to represent a heavenly kingdom in an earthly realm. And this altar is, is a shadow altar. We're not actually coming before the physical presence of God, but, but when we come to the altar, in a sense we are saying, God, I'm, I'm coming before your very presence. I'm bringing my prayers like incense and I'm placing them before you. 
I want to invite you with me at the end of this service. It's a full room. I know we can't all physically fit at the altar, but sometimes it's worth a try. I want to ask you to stand with me. And I want to invite you to just come and, and just press towards. You might only get about 10 steps if you're in the back. But would you take some, mo- some motion towards the altar today? Could we just come and move towards the presence of the Lord? Are you guys up front? Just press in close. And here's what I want to say as you come. Listen, if you feel far from God, if you feel far from God today, you need to know this. This promise is yours. Jesus is praying for the saints. Whatever you're praying about, whatever you're bringing before him, he's already bringing before the Father. He knows. He knows. He knows. He said the hairs of your head are numbered. That's how much he knows. He said if I clothe the lilies in the valley, why should you worry about me clothing you? He knows. And because beyond our conversion... Our salvation and our sanctification is a continuing work. It doesn't matter where you're at in your relationship with God. If you're far from God, His plan is that you come near. If you're near, His plan is that you come closer. That's the heart of God. And I I just want to invite you in this moment to say, God, I'm I'm just going to draw near to the altar. Maybe you're here today and you're facing an immovable mountain circumstances in your life that you can't fix it, you can't solve it, you can't think your way out of it, you can't phone a friend, you, you, you just, you're, you're at an impasse. I want to challenge you today with what Jesus said. He said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. But listen, I'd invite you to come forward to, to, to speak to the mountain. I invited you to come forward to seek the mountain mover. To place place your prayers, to place your life upon the altar. And maybe, maybe, no, I can say with certainty, there are prayers that some of us have prayed a hundred times, a thousand times. We prayed it so many times that even now, while I'm encouraging you to pray, you don't want to pray about that. Because you're so discouraged in the fact that God, that, I don't know where that prayer went, but it didn't get, it didn't get to the bowl. <laughs> it must not have made it in the altar because God has not answered that prayer. Can I challenge you one more time to let the fire of your faith Ignite a prayer on the altar today. This may be the moment that the aroma of your faith reaches the nostrils of God. This could be the moment on a microscopic level. I'm not talking ends of the world. I'm talking right now. Every time we pray the prayer of faith, when that fire of faith reaches God's throne, He takes it and He sends it back to the earth in response. This could be the moment that God just begins to hurl your prayer right back to the earth in answer. So I'm going to ask this worship team to just begin to sing these words.